Hi, I'm Nicole, and welcome to my podcast, Cold Chills in Colorado. Each week, we'll explore mysteries, myths, and murder, both old and new. So join me in the Mile High City, where the Wild West is far from dead. Have you heard the history of Cheeseman Park? Episode 2, The Mystery of Cheeseman Park. The year was 1858, nearly the height of the Colorado Gold Rush, and new towns were popping up along the front range of the Rocky Mountains. General William Larimer jumped the St. Charles Town Company land claim and established his own town, which he named Denver. Sorted from the start, the land wasn't even legally for sale. It was stolen from the original inhabitants, the Arapaho Indians but this scandal would unfortunately be brushed under the rug as one of the mild cases of corruption and lies tied to the establishment of Cheeseman Park. In November of 1858, General Larimer purchased 320 acres and set aside 160 for a cemetery in town and named it Mount Prospect Cemetery. This area of land sits in the current section of the city bordered by Colfax on the north York Street on the east, 8th Avenue on the south, and Downing Street on the west. Given that at the time, cemeteries were places similar to today's parks, where people would often walk or picnic, the area was founded on the most desirable open space with sweeping views. The wealthy and influential were reserved large plots on the crests of the hills, criminals and paupers were placed on the outermost edge, and the middle class were somewhere in between the two. Officially, the first man to be buried in the cemetery was Abraham Kay in March of 1859, who died from a lung infection. However, it is the second burial that garners more attention and is sometimes recognized as the first because of the sensational case. In April of 1859, a Hungarian immigrant named John Stoffel was convicted of the murder of his brother-in-law over gold dust by a people's court and then hanged from a cottonwood tree at the intersection of 10th and Cherry Creek. Nearly a thousand spectators showed for the hanging even though Denver only consisted of about 150 homes and buildings at the time. Stoffel was then buried with his brother-in-law in the same grave at the edge of the cemetery. 
outlaws, vagrants, and the poor, soon began to fill the outer edges of the cemetery, and Denverites adapted the nicknames of Old Boneyard and Boot Hill. In early 1860, professional gambler Jack O'Neill was gunned down outside of the Western Saloon by a vagrant named Rooker. O'Neill was buried in Mount Prospect Cemetery, which soon gained another new nickname of Jack O'Neill's Ranch. Even though the cemetery was busy in its first few years, with unfavorable nicknames and majority of burials coming from the poor, criminal, and diseased, Mount Prospect never gained the respect or high society that Larimer had hoped to achieve. He soon left Denver for other endeavors. Next, a local cabinet maker and aspiring undertaker, John Wally, claimed the land for himself. By 1866, only about 600 people were buried in Mount Prospect, but Wally let the cemetery fall into a state of disrepair. Headstones were toppled, graves were vandalized, and cattle were allowed to graze upon the land. Remember the Arapaho Indians? In 1872, the U.S. government decided that a treaty made in 1860 with the tribe made the land federal property. Larimer and Wally had no rightful claim. The government seized the land and offered it to the city of Denver for $200. After the purchase, the city changed the name to Denver City Cemetery. Over time, areas of the cemetery were designated for different religions, ethnicities, and organizations such as the Society of Masons, Roman Catholics, Jews, the Grand Army of the Republic, and the Chinese. In 1875, as many parts continued to become overgrown and unmaintained, 20 acres at the north part were sold to the Hebrew Burial Society, who were diligent in maintaining their area. The Hebrew Burial Society began to use the area just south of their graveyard as a makeshift hospital building known as the Pest House for those suffering from smallpox. Victims were quarantined with others that had extremely contagious or terminal disease, but some of the elderly, handicapped, and just those that were ill were sent to the Pest House and often forgotten or left to die. Behind the building, the vast majority of those that died in the Pest House were buried in mass graves in the section that became known as the Potter's Field. By 1880, the cemetery was an eyesore for the city in an area that was otherwise blossoming into one of the most prestigious and exclusive sections for the wealthy and elite. Real estate developers began to lobby for a park in the area of the cemetery, and under pressure, Colorado Senator Henry Moore Teller persuaded the U.S. Congress to allow the graveyard to be converted to a city park. On January 25, 1890, Congress authorized the city to vacate Mount Prospect Cemetery, and Teller renamed the area Congress Park. Families were given 90 days to remove the nearly 5,000 bodies of their departed loved ones. A large number of graves to the east belonged to the Roman Catholics, and Mayor Joseph E. Bates sold 40 acres of the park to the Catholic Archdiocese, which then renamed the area Mount Calvary Cemetery. 
The section of Chinese graves were given to the Hop Alley neighborhood of Denver, where many Chinese immigrants lived, and they were placed in charge of shipping the deceased back to their homeland in China. After several years of waiting, only about 700 bodies were ever relocated, and most, belonging to criminals, vagrants, and the poor, were never claimed. To help progress the removal of bodies, the city then contracted an undertaker, E.P. McGovern, to remove the nearly 4,000 unclaimed remains in 1893. Under the contract, McGovern was supposed to provide a fresh coffin for each set of remains and transfer them to the nearby cemetery of Riverside. His wage was negotiated at $1.90 a coffin. On March 14, 1893, McGovern and his workmen began the transfer of remains to a crowd of reporters and curiosity seekers. For the first few days, everything went accordingly. However, the greedy, shameless, and immoral McGovern soon hatched a plan to net himself even more profit. Rather than using full-size coffins, McGovern purchased cheaper child caskets that were only one foot by three and a half feet long. He would often use three of the smaller caskets for one body by dismembering them and body parts and bones were soon mixed and thrown about in haste. Souvenir hunters began to loot and rob the open graves and coffins. Just five days later, on March 19, 1893, the Denver Republican ran a story titled, The Work of a Ghoul, and described in detail the hacking up and stuffing of bodies into the small boxes. An excerpt reads, quote, The line of desecrated graves at the southern boundary of the cemetery sickened and horrified everybody by the appearance they presented. Around their edges were piled, broken coffins, rent and tattered shrouds, and fragments of clothing that had been torn from the dead bodies. All were trampled into the ground by the footsteps of the grave diggers like rejected junk. Into the first box, some bones were cavalierly tossed by a workman. He then pulled another box to the edge of the grave, and into this he tossed one bone and some earth. At this juncture, a man came along with a pot of paint and brush and numbered and lettered the two boxes already filled from the single grave. John E. Wood, the representative of the health department, also came up. When John saw the third box, he asked the man in the grave what it was for. Oh, I guess there's another one here, said the grave digger, as he threw a shovel full of earth into the box. Mr. Wood looked into the grave, said, huh, and walked away. Another shovel full of earth and some more crumbled wood was then thrown into the box. The remains were disinfected, the lid fastened on, and the body of 274BH shipped to Riverside." End quote. The City Health Commissioner immediately opened an investigation and the contract with McGovern was quickly terminated by Mayor Platt Rogers 
even though only about a thousand of the bodies had been removed. Many graves sat open and exposed, yet another contract was never awarded. The city built a temporary wooden fence until 1894 when grading and leveling began for the preparation of the park. Several open graves remained until 1902 as the city slowly worked to plant shrubs and fill the holes of open graves or where coffins had been removed. The city then pulled out the remaining headstones and completed work in 1907 with nearly 3,000 bodies left buried underground. The landscape architect Reinhard Schutze was then hired to do the initial design of the soon-to-be park. It included figure-eight carriageways, a pavilion, reflecting pools, and lush green meadows outlined with trees. Schutze died in 1910 before the park was complete, but S.R. Bauer took his plans and finished with most of the original design intact. The figure-eight was later removed and grass-planted. High Street originally ran through the park as well, but was also removed and replanted. Mayor Robert Speer claimed the city wanted to beautify the Congress Park area, but didn't have the funds to do so. As a supporter of the City Beautiful movement, he encouraged wealthy benefactors to donate, but had no luck until the Cheeseman family. In 1909, Alice and Gladys also donated $100,000 to the park for the City Beautiful Movement. The donation was to be used to build a Colorado Yule marble pavilion and the condition that part of the park be designated Cheeseman as a tribute to the memory of the Denver pioneer. The pavilion was designed in a neoclassical style on a raised platform. It has retaining walls styled in ashlar and topped with decorative balustrades. The walls had fountains installed and were inset with grand staircases in the style of Italian Renaissance gardens. At the base, three large reflecting pools were used as waiting pools by the public. In 1912, landscaping included an esplanade with formal parterres for flowers that extended all the way from the memorial to Williams Street on the east. It was said Walter Cheeseman hitched a ride on an ox cart from Chicago to Denver in 1861 to join his brother in the drugstore business. He loved his new city of Denver and became an advocate for boosting the city. He helped bring the railroad and soon became a developer in the real estate industry with great success. After the tragic death of his first wife and children, he later married Alice Foster Sanger and together they had one daughter named Gladys. In 1907, Walter began construction on a landmark mansion atop Logan Hill in Denver, but soon died after complications from Crip, which he had suffered from the previous December. He was estimated to be worth $20 million at the time of his death, which is roughly $570 million today. 
His wife and daughter completed the three-story mansion designed by Walter and added an iconic wrought iron fence, west portico, Roman ionic colonnade, and elegant arched windows. It was completed in 1908. They later added several unique features, including a fountain-centered rose garden, lily pool with pergola, and a solarium later named the Palm Room. The home was later sold to Claude K. Betcher after the death of Mrs. Cheeseman and is still known today as the historic Governor's Residence at Betcher Mansion. In 1923, the bodies from the Hebrew burial grounds were removed and the cemetery land was returned to the city. This area is the current site of the reservoir in Congress Park. The section on the south edge of the park, near 8th and William Street, formerly used as the Chinese cemetery, was converted to a city tree and shrub nursery until 1930. The land was then given back to the city as an addition to Congress Park. Beginning in 1934, the Cheeseman Pavilion began to hold open-air Broadway musicals and operas sponsored by the Denver Post. In 1950, the city convinced the Catholic Church to sell Mount Calgary Cemetery back to the city. Most of the bodies were removed and a botanic garden was planned for the area. In 1966, the Denver Botanical Gardens was dedicated. By the 1970s, the waiting pools were closed, the musicals stopped, and the pavilion began to fall into disrepair. City authorities undertook a restoration project, but had to replace the original platform and chose sloping lawns and modest concrete staircases. Only the pavilion itself and reflecting pools remain of the original design. Restoration grading replaced the original landscape with simplified flower beds and a rose garden. The modern-day layout of Cheeseman Park is only a portion of the land that was part of the original cemetery, with the vast majority located on what used to be the Protestant section. The former sections of the Chinese cemetery and Hebrew burial grounds were later redeveloped, and residential homes now separate Cheeseman from Congress Park. It is estimated that two to 3,000 bodies are still buried in the park and the original gate of the cemetery still remains. But the dead are not resting in peace. In 2008, during the construction of a new parking structure for the Botanic Gardens, between York and Josephine Streets, human bones and parts of coffins were unearthed. The bodies were removed and buried in a different location. In 2010, during irrigation work at the park, four skeletons were unearthed near the Cheeseman Pavilion. As to be expected, the area is claimed to be one of the most haunted places in the state. Soon after the original body removal, those living in the surrounding residences had reported sad and confused-looking spirits that knocked on their doors and windows. 
Visitors to the park have reported feelings of unexplainable sadness or dread. Others claim to hear whispering voices or moans from the fields or open graves once laid. Children have been reported playing at the park and on the playground at night before they mysteriously vanish. Several reports of a woman singing to herself that will suddenly disappear have also been cited. On moonlit nights, there are claims that the outlines of graves can be seen in the dark. Those lying in the grass report it's hard to get up, as if an unseen force is holding them down. Shadows and misty figures that slowly wander the park in confusion are commonly reported. So the next time you're in Denver, stop and smell the roses at the Botanical Gardens, take a tour of the Betcher Mansion, or head for a stroll to the Cheeseman Pavilion. On warm summer nights, the park is crowded with joggers, cyclists, and dog walkers. You'll find picnics, volleyball games, and yoga classes spread across the expansive lawns. Many Denverites now enjoy the green spot of nature in a concrete city as the area was originally intended to be. It is also an unofficial LGBTQI gathering and hosts the starting point of the annual Pride Parade and is home to the AIDS Colorado Walk. While you're at it, catch a ghost tour with Dark Side of Denver or Nightly Spirits Tours or venture in the park on your own after dark, if you dare. These days, the residents tend to be more lively than those of the past, but you never know what unexpected visitor you may meet in the moonlight of Cheeseman Park. Join us next week when we head to Glenwood Springs to explore the grave of Doc Holliday. Thanks for listening. The following are references to the story. The Haunted History of Denver's Cheeseman Park by Amanda Kesting, published October 2018 on 9news.com, Cheeseman Park's Past Life as a Cemetery by Katie Rudolph, published October 2015 on denverlibrary.org, Wikipedia, the Colorado Hall of Fame.org, and Ghosts of Cheeseman Park by Kathy Weiser, published October 2019 on legendsofamerica.com.